All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. Today's guest is Scott Young. Scott is a writer who undertakes interesting self-education projects such as attempting to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum in just 12 months. He's also challenged himself by learning four languages in one year. For the last 10 years, he's been experimenting to find out how to learn and think better. He teaches the key concepts to learn the skills you want, faster, quicker, and at a deeper level than you ever thought possible. And in this interview, we discuss ultra-learning, practice hacks, meta-learning, consumption versus doing, skill mastery, habit changes, productivity, and so much more. And this is the interview for you if you finally want to learn those skills they've always desired. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on, Scott. I've been a big fan of your site, of your amazing book. But for people who are maybe not aware of you, and you know, it's very timely to have you on during the virus epidemic because people are at home and we're looking for things to do to improve yourself, learn, you know, work from home. You know, you can you go into a little bit about who you are and why your your book could be so helpful to people in the current situation? Sure. So I'm a writer and I, I just published a book called Ultra Learning recently, and it's about how to master hard skills on your own, how to teach yourself difficult things like programming, languages, public speaking, entrepreneurship, anything you can think of. And the sort of, I guess if there's something I'm known for, it's for doing these sort of uh ultra learning projects, these projects where I take on uh, learning challenges. So one of them that I undertook, which would have been about eight years ago, was something I called the MIT challenge, which was trying to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum uh, in 12 months. But instead of going to MIT and going and getting a degree, I used the free materials that they had online. So I was able to kind of uh, engineer sort of a similar to an actual MIT degree program, learning the content that you would learn, but without having to pay any tuition. Uh, another project I undertook with a friend where we went to four different countries to learn four different languages. This was called, we call it the year without English. And the reason why is because the main method we were using to learn languages was to not speak English when we were there. So we went to Spain to learn Spanish, Brazil to learn Portuguese, China to learn Mandarin, and South Korea to learn Korean. And I've also done projects for things like portrait drawing and quantum mechanics and cognitive science and various other things as well. So this was something that's been a big part of my life, life for the last decade. And I've gotten to meet some really interesting people who have done even more impressive projects on things like public speaking and starting a business and doing all sorts of crazy things. And so I wanted to take their stories, put them together in a book and give people kind of a, a method or a game plan if they wanted to teach themselves something hard that was going to make a difference in their life. I mean, and you've, the book is amazing. And when you look at like the challenges and it's not so much just the challenges, it's the way that you explain how to learn and mm -hmm. the ability that anybody can learn regardless of the situation, because 
qualifications are no longer as valuable as they once were. Um, I don't know if you know Michael Ellsberg, mm-hmm. who wrote about you know the the true qualifications of millionaires and how a lot of them it's the skills over the qualification. A lot of people can only hypothetically tell you how to do something; they can't actually do it. And I think you mentioned there's a big difference between knowing a skill and actually being able to do it. And a lot of current teaching, you know, like in classrooms and that, people don't know the skill. But, I mean, nowadays with the likes of Tim Ferriss, we've got the human guinea pig. It's become quite popular. You know, people try new things. But what were you like back as a kid? Were you the inquisitive kid? You know, how did you get into this? (laughs) Yeah, I've always been really interested uh, in learning. But I think for me, there was a few experiences that pushed me into this path. I mean, there's probably some alternate realities out there in the multiverse where I became a very different kind of person. And so one of my sort of formative experiences happened when I was in university and I met a fellow by the name of Benny Lewis. And he's someone that I talk about in the book as having a major influence on me because I was always interested in learning. I was even on my blog, I was writing about studying in school, kind of normal stuff. But I encountered him because I was in France trying to learn French and I was kind of struggling with it. Like I I wasn't doing as well as I had hoped. And I stumble upon his website. I think a friend of mine recommended it. And the website's title is Fluent in Three Months. And I just remember at the time thinking, oh, that's bullshit. There's no way you can even get anything close to fluency in three months. I'd been in France for longer than three months. And I certainly wasn't fluent. I wasn't even close. And I met him. And what I realized was just that there was this entire other reality, this other world of people who are taking on really difficult, intense learning projects. And he was one of them. And he had a very different approach to how you approach learning things in school. So the way we're often taught to learn things in school is, you know, you sit and you study and you get ready for the exam. And then when you pass the exam, you've learned it. And his approach was, you know what, if I'm going to practice speaking a language, I'm going to speak a language. So he would go out and he would just start talking to people from you know, almost the very first day, just with a phrase book. And that allowed him to get better a lot more quickly. And it's something that's kind of funny because he's become a bit famous for doing this, but he's not unique in this. I've actually met quite a few people. There's, if you look on the internet, there's quite a few people that do very similar kinds of projects. And even the project that I did with my friend is quite similar. And so it shows that having the right method, having the right attitude and and really the right tools for learning things can make a huge difference because if you're only experienced for example, of learning a language was sitting through five years of high school Spanish where you can barely say hola, then it's kind of strange to think that there might be someone who will go from near zero to having functional conversations with someone in a couple months. And yet that is something that people regularly do. And so I think that this is something that applies not just to learning languages, but to learning all sorts of skills. And so that was what I wanted to try to document in the book. But I mean, for me, that was such a just discovering that there are people out there doing this was such a formative experience. Because that, that's the thing, though, is like if you say to somebody, learning, it's got that negative connotation of yeah, yeah. you have to be at school, you have to be young, and once you go into work, it's almost like you're told not to go and learn. You're just to get on with life. And I think that's the thing nowadays, though, is we're seeing that, well, for, especially for somebody like me, where these types of podcasts where people are actually able to listen to somebody tell their story mm-hmm. and, and see how they can actually learn new things and do different things and it's quite remarkable but what's the kind of usual excuses that you hear from people you know of why they can't do it you know how can we start removing people's egos and the the barriers and the bullshit the putins you know in front of themselves to learn because 
you showed in the book how many there's so many different people at different ages can do this. But how do we get down that initial break of you can learn, you can improve yourself? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that there's a lot of people have a lot of negative associations with learning. And and particularly because the way we talk about learning is typically to say that it's synonymous with school. So if you think back to your experience of school and it wasn't a pleasant one, which let's face it is probably true for a lot of people, if not most people, they think back to school and say, oh, I had had those classes I hated and couldn't wait to be done with it. And I felt stupid and, and this kind of thing, which is very common. I think that the problem isn't so much the excuses because the excuses are just reasons you just generate because you have these negative emotions and negative feelings attached. So one of the things I wanted to do with the book was to show a very different picture of learning, something that's not the same as show up to a class and do a bunch of studying and okay, you got a C plus and I guess you're done and, and you never use it again, but rather something exciting, something where it's an adventure, something where you're actively doing something that's important to you. And I think when you start to see learning in this way, you start to realize that really anything in your life that you want to improve is going to be done through learning for the most part, that learning just reflects changes that you make to your brain that make you better at things. So even things like, you know, the person who becomes an entrepreneur and they say like, I want to be a better entrepreneur. Well, you don't often maybe think of that as I'm going to like do a lot of learning. Maybe I'm just going to do a lot of things, right? But really that's what you're talking about when you're talking about you want to be savvier as a business person is that you have to learn things and it's not the same as necessarily just reading a bunch of books and getting a good mark on the exam but it still involves this sort of psychological process of building memories building understanding of things building skills and so that was sort of the angle that I wanted to approach it from uh, the book was to sort of distance it from the scholastic end of learning and focus on what do people actually care about what do you actually want to be good at in your life and and if you decide that you want to be good at it, what's what's necessary to get there? What do you have to do to become good at it? But, I mean, it's a problem that a lot of guys have, do you think, is that they don't know what they want to do. You know, if you said to them, what skills would you like to learn? Most people would give you this scatter mix of, oh, I'd like to learn a language. Oh, I'd like to be able to do 20 key apps. Oh, I'd like to learn to play the guitar. You yeah. know, it, do you think it's a problem that we, we become so like unattached to our dreams or what we want from life that we just throw out these general cues without it being dialed into really what we want from life so i think there's two sort of responses i give to that so the first thing i would say is that i think that the ability to teach yourself hard skills is itself a skill so there's a kind of skill to learning other skills and the problem is, is that most people don't have that skill. And what I mean by saying they don't have it isn't that they, they're, you know, they're incapable of learning or something extreme like that, but rather that every moment in their life where they've learned something, they've been kind of pushed into an environment where that's what they have to do. So they spent maybe 12, 15, 16 years in school throughout their entire life where someone was just telling them what to do. You know, okay, go learn this. You do this now. You do this now. Now you have to learn this. And maybe you had to make a few decisions, but not that many. It was like multiple choice. Like, do I want to major in X or Y? It wasn't, you know, really deep questions about what I want to do to learn. And then when you get into your job, you have to learn because otherwise, you know, your boss is going to get mad at you or fire you or you need to be able to lead your project, your team. And so the question of what do I want to learn and how do I learn it and this kind of thing is just a skill that's largely unpracticed because most people just kind of glide through life in this sort of a path where other people are telling them what they need to get better at and then they just follow those instructions. So I think that's the first thing I would say. And then the second thing I would say about this process of 
you know, how do you develop enthusiasm for learning is that a lot of people gravitate to kind of concrete things that are easy to grasp. So like you mentioned, learning a language or playing guitar. But the problem is that for a lot of people, learning a language or playing guitar maybe isn't actually that important to them, right? There's something else that maybe is really important to them. Maybe it's, you know, being able to get a better job or maybe it's being a better spouse or maybe it's being able to start that business finally. And the problem is that a lot of those skills that you might want to learn that are like that are really vague and amorphous. It's not really clear what you need to do to get good at it. And so I think that's also a real skill of just being able to take some of those vague ambitions you have and construct some kind of learning project around it. And I think there's also a great deal of, you know, if you haven't experienced success in the past in that area, you're kind of resistant to the idea that you might be able to experience in the future. So if you've tried to teach yourself programming and it's failed miserably before, then that's going to make you a little hesitant to the idea that, oh, you know, I might be able to switch careers and become a programmer. Or if you, you know, tried to read things about starting a business and you just have no idea what to do or it all sounds so difficult, then yeah, maybe you are going to throw up some roadblocks to doing it. Yeah, I mean, because that's when initially I thought about, you know, going off and doing a qualification. I, yeah, when I started to work, I was thinking, well, I really want to go back to school. But then as I started doing like the podcast, it just started as a hobby. And then I realized that there was hard skills, but there was also the soft skills, you know, and then there was the skills I had to learn to get the podcast out. Mm-hmm. Then there was a skill I had to learn to email people and get them attracted enough to read my emails. Mm-hmm. And these sort of things help, but lots of people would immediately go, no. No, I couldn't do that. No, no, I, I have no good with computers. And it's like you're saying is they have that negative connotation to it. Mm. So how does ultra learning differ then? You know, why do you think you've and other people who have used your concepts have you know become so successful in learning skills compared to like the traditional models of school lectures, hurling information and hoping it sticks? Well, I think what I try to do in the book and, and what I've been trying to do with my sort of writing work for the last 10 years or so is to try to get people to see what are the processes they're using to learn things already. Um, and I think that that is kind of an invisible thing, right? It's it's something that, you know, you just go out and you do it. You're not maybe having a lot of self-awareness of, okay, what's the method that I'm using? You know, am I deciding to read this book or am I deciding to watch this video or am I doing some kind of practice and what kind of practice am I doing? People just sort of jump on something. So the classic example is that you talk to people who've never learned a language before, or even lots of people have, and they're like, oh, I want to learn Spanish. Okay, well, maybe I'll get Duolingo. Right. And, and that, that's the that's the content of that sort of self-awareness of what am I going to do to learn was ah, maybe I'll get Duolingo or ah, maybe I'll join a community college Spanish class or something like this. And so what I, I'm trying to do is if you can be more aware of what the process is, you can start to realize why some of the efforts you've made in the past haven't worked out. So if you can understand why it is that you haven't been as successful, maybe let's say learning to program or learning French or learning public speaking or something, then you can start making adjustments. And so there's actually a lot of research that's been done on how people learn effectively. And it's not obvious things. So one of the things that I talk about in the book, which is super important, and yet it's omitted in many, many ways that we often learn things, is that you need to have a certain amount of directness with what you're doing. So a lot of times what people will do is they want to learn a particular skill and yet the actual thing that they're doing when they're learning is nothing like the actual skill they want to be good at. You know, they're, they want to speak a language, but they're tapping their finger on buttons on a phone 
Um, you know, that's the activity that they're doing, or they want to, you know, become a programmer and they want to build applications, but they don't try to build their own application. They're just sort of, you know, watching some tutorial videos or something like that. And so, uh, one of the big things that you can do to be more effective as a learner is just to recognize what is the real thing that you're trying to do? What is the thing that you're trying to actually get good at and going out and doing that? And that's one of the principles that I talk in the book, but there's many others that are kind of subtle. And if you miss them, it's very easy to kind of lead yourself astray and then convince yourself, well, the problem was that I wasn't smart enough when really you were using an ineffective approach. I mean, that's why I really like the sort of the nine principles in the book that you looked at, you, you know, you tried to get people to move away from what of where you wanted to go, but you instead look at how you were going to get there and the methods. And, you know, you, you talked about how, um, you know, I think it's uh, like your meta planning and, so many other people are like, oh, I would never sit and plan. Um, you know, when you said you were talking about going on your trips, you thought about what would happen if I spoke to somebody because you were trying to speak um, the foreign language without any English. And you said, well, what happens if I came across somebody who didn't speak the language? What would I do if I did X, Y, Z? And I think that was so beautifully done was the, the level of detail that you put into this. So how, say if we pick a challenge. I mean, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. A lot of people I know try to do it by learning the techniques, but then they don't roll, so they don't know how to use them in a, a combat situation, or they don't know how to put them all together from start to finish. Yeah. If you had something like that, how would you use meta planning for that? How would you start looking and breaking that down yeah. to start learning so the meta learning is the first principle and the reason that I, I make it the first principle is because if you're going to take on a project by yourself, then it helps to understand what is required of you to be good at this thing. And that's often not obvious. And if you can invest some time up front to understand what's involved to get good at it, you can avoid a lot of these pitfalls. So uh, now I, I don't know anything about uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I can talk about like, let's say a different physical skill. And I think this is a situation where if you wanted to learn some kind of physical skill, then the first thing to do would be to look at people who are good at it and sort of ask them, okay, well, what do you do to get good at it. What is, what is it involved in getting good at this? And then someone could give you some sort of breakdown. Okay. Well, you have to, you know, have, if we're talking about jujitsu, I'm imagining there's some kind of physical component. You have to have a certain amount of strength. You have to have a certain amount of, you know, some certain patterns that you've memorized for, for being able to execute the skills, but you also know how to read the situation and respond. And so there's a lot of different kind of concepts here that you could break down. And then when you're learning it, you kind of have a sense of, okay, this is what I would have to do to get good at this particular skill. And so I think one of the things that a lot of people don't do is they don't invest this time in figuring out what is actually required of them to get good at this thing. And because they don't invest that time, it's often very difficult to... Uh, to make progress because you're just sort of at the mercy of, did you pick a good sort of plan by random chance when you were starting out? I suppose that, and it depends on what training academy you've joined and things like that. Because when I first started, I could use like Evernote, Google tasks. I would have Dropbox, I have clouds, I'd have systems for everything. But if you asked me what I wanted to achieve in life, I'd say, oh, I want to learn to play the guitar. You know, it, it was just so vague. And now I've started because of like the smart principle, you know, I've started going, right, okay, I want to be able to play one song on the guitar. I want to be able to learn to drive within before I'm 25. You know, like I've actually started giving them measurable goals and I've achieved a lot of them. 
but I did that with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I want to get good at jiu-jitsu. But, you know, mm. what is, how do you define that? How do you manage that? So how do we work out, like, how did you establish when a skill is learned? You know, and is there a difference between learning a physical skill compared to a mental skill compared to something else? Or are the principles from your book, um, I don't know if we want to go into them, but... Sure, we can, yeah. You know, does it kind of change at all? Or is there, are these the universal principles that you think work? Well, I think every single learning challenge is going to be different and is going to have different kind of things that make it difficult. So if we're talking about learning a language, a major obstacle to that is memory, that you don't remember the words or the sentences or how to say things. And so a major problem is that is just kind of overcoming, oh, what was the word for X uh, in a conversation is something that you have to deal with all the time. And so if you can be good at remembering things, um, you will be much better at speaking foreign languages. And so that's something that, you know, you want to understand a lot of memory. Now, do you need a lot of memory to be good with jujitsu? Well, maybe you need a certain kind of memory, but certainly not the same kind of memory of just like, what's the word for X? It's a lot of it is, you know, people colloquially call it muscle memory, but there's a different kind of procedural memory of being able to do things that is different from being able to just recall it and be able to state it and write it down. And so I think that a lot of the memory stuff that you would be doing, a lot of the things that you'd have to do to be good at jujitsu would be similar to other subjects, but there's also going to be differences. I, I, there's not going to be the same need to necessarily like have uh, flashcards if you're doing, um, if you're doing jujitsu, but you do still need to deal with these issues of memory and you do still need to deal with these issues of being able to uh, understand why you're doing what you're doing and being able to get feedback and spotting your weaknesses. So I think even if there's going to be differences, the principles largely still do apply. Uh, I mean, that was what I was really interested was the the scope of the meta-learning, the, mm -hmm. the way that you really delved down deep and you looked at ways to, to throw yourself into that situation. I mean, um, I remember reading one of Tim Ferriss's books where he talked about learning a language where he'd learned like keywords and phrases that he could kind of link together to kind of form a mind map and stuff like that. So how do you start breaking this down? Do you write this onto like, you've mentioned you, they are writing it out. Is it, is it really helpful for you to kind of really get into the, the, you know, into the depths of it? What kind of tools do you use at this stage to start your challenge, start your planning, your meta learning, et cetera? Well, if I'm going to start working with a particular uh, project, usually my starting point is to kind of get it like I, I break it down in the book into sort of three categories of things, which I would say apply to virtually every subject. Um, and the three categories are what I call uh, skills, concepts and facts. And it's not that you have to have this extremely detailed that you know every skill, concept and fact, but it gives you sort of a sense of what is involved in getting good at this. So. A fact is something that you just have to be able to remember. Uh, you don't have to understand it, and it's not really something you have to do. It's just something you know. So again, with language learning, knowing vocabulary is knowing a lot of facts. You have to know what the words are for things. And then we can have concepts, which is something that's a little bit more elaborate than a fact where you have to know it, but you have to understand it and you have to be able to work with it. So physics involves a lot of concepts that, you know, it's not enough to just have the equations memorized. You have to actually have to know how to use them to solve difficult problems. And then finally, we have procedures, which is skills, which is the kind of knowing that, not just 
uh, not just being able to bring things out, but it's knowing how, like, how can you actually perform this in the real world? So if you're playing a sport or you're doing uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, for instance, that is a lot of procedural knowledge. And so you can even just start by writing these down in these three columns and just start listing things. And then you can get a sense of, okay, well, what is going to be the main difficulty here? What is going to be the main thing that's going to prevent me from getting good at it? And you can make a guess in the beginning for a lot of subjects, even if you don't quite know. So you might assume, for instance, that the main thing in a language is, you know, you just need to know a lot of vocabulary. And then maybe when you get into it, you realize, well, actually, let's say the pronunciation or being able to speak fluently or converse or things is actually making a, a bigger problem. And so you maybe need to switch your strategies. But the more you can kind of sort of structure what is involved in learning this, what do you actually have to get good at, the better that you can kind of figure out which methods are going to be appropriate for you to, to learn it and which things you can use to, uh, to get better. Because yeah, there's a guy called um, Kit Dale, who's a jiu-jitsu practitioner, um, like world champion, etc. Mm -hmm. That's what he was talking about was if you take all the main points like of different sections, you can do like mount, back, etc. Mm -hmm. in jiu-jitsu. Then you take all the standard sweeps and you take all the standard attacks. And he said, by the time that you learn each of them, it's something, something like five million hours. But he said, if you break it down to the concepts of Every sweep has three points. It's uh, like taking the post away, taking their balance away, and then finding a leverage point to turn them or sweep them or twist them or whatever. And since I understood those three concepts, you don't really need to know every single sweep because you just look for those three concepts. And that's why I was really so glad when I found your stuff because it made me understand how I could actually break skills down. You know, I wasn't just going to look and go, I want to do a backflip. I was going to go, right, how do I need to do the landing? How do I need to, like, how do I build it up to that point? And then finding the information that I needed, it kind of gave me the confidence that I could do these sorts of things. I haven't been able to do the backflip yet because I'm quite a heavy guy, but it, it opened people up into these kind of things. But, you know, so many guys self-sabotage. You know, they want to be general. They don't want to step out of this kind of thing. But how do we except we can be better how do we make each skill we learn is like a reference point so we can use that as a new starting point you know to, to keep going and keep improving because so many guys would you know do a qualification and then they do nothing for five years how do we keep you know you exercising this part of our brain Hmm. Well, one of the things that I always try to be doing in my own life is just to always have new projects. And so I, I really work off this sort of model of having a kind of concrete project for a period of time where I'm focusing on it and I'm really trying to make improvements in something specific. And then when it's done, uh, you know, I, I'll obviously work to maintain it and keep it up, but then I work on a new project. And the new project doesn't have to be a new skill. It could be related to the old skill. But the idea here is just that by breaking down the progress that you want to make across lots of different domains of your life into these sort of concrete projects of fixed links, you can actually work on something specific. And I think the problem a lot of people I see is that they get really enthusiastic about the very general idea of getting better at a lot of things. But then when you break it down to like, well, this is actually what you need to do to get good at it, it gets kind of, oh, all right, well, now I'm not sure whether I want to do it anymore. And so I think that's sort of a good habit to kind of build in place is to the more you can have your yourself focused on, you know, doing what you need to do every day to move forward, you're going to make more progress than if you're just sort of daydreaming about, well, wouldn't it be nice to be great at jujitsu rather than, okay, these are the, you know, these are this 
this sort of um, style that I'm working on, or these are the kind of moves that I, I have to practice and I'm just going to do it every day and I'm going to work on this for the next three months. And, and that's sort of a way that you actually, if you think about the long term, if you're thinking about over five, 10 years, if you're consistently doing projects, you look back and you learn a ton of shit. Like it's not, it's not just that you've, you know, uh, had a bunch of ideas for things that you wanted to learn. I mean, because oh, that is a big thing just now. It's like, I want to learn to play the guitar. And I know that there are certain chords I need to learn, that there's certain hand movement exercises I need to do to kind of get my wrist flexible enough. And then there's like certain strings to play. But jiu-jitsu is quite a complex thing. And I think if people, you know, it's difficult to kind of decide what you can achieve. Um, there's a quote I'm forgetting. It's something about you under, overestimate what you can do in a decade and underestimate what you can do in a year. Oh, no. It's probably something it's like that. But, you know, we completely yeah. underestimate what we do. But I was very interested in um, your approach to Parkinson's Law, the way you did with MIT is you set yourself a time challenge. Because, mm. you know, the amount of time we have to do something, yeah. we will fill it up. So if you give somebody a year to complete a qualification, they'll take the year. But if you give somebody three weeks, three months, they'll take, you know, they'll carry all the chaff yeah. and they'll go for the essentials. Did you think about that kind of concept well, or was it I, just... I so I, I agree with what you're saying. I wouldn't say that uh, it's the case that like everything is infinitely flexible. So if you say, well, I'm going to get a PhD tomorrow, like, I mean, it doesn't mean that you can squeeze things infinitely. However, I do think it's really beneficial to do projects over fixed timelines. Um, so whenever I do a project, I never just say, well, I'm just going to be doing this for a while. <laughs> I always am like, okay, this is what I'm working on for the next month or three months or a year. And this is how much I'm working on it in that time period. Is it full time? Is it, you know, uh, an hour a day? Is it part time? It, what, am, what is the actual time commitment? And the reason for doing this is I think that we make much more progress when we pick concrete specific things to work on. Um, rather than just having this kind of vague, kind of unbounded ambitions. Because really when you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to work on this for as long as it takes, what you're really saying is I'm going to work on this for as long as this feels important to me and that nothing else shiny distracts me. Uh, yeah. it, sounds like, it sounds like it's the smart, like it sounds like you're being, uh, like the, the person says, well, I'm going to do this for a month is the one who's being kind of premature that they're just sort of, well, why do they think it will take a month? But it's not that it's, it's not that you can always accomplish anything in the, any amount of time you set, but that if you set a fixed amount of time, then you were saying to yourself, okay, for this fixed amount of time, I'm not working on another project. I'm working on this right now. And I think that's very important because if you picked any goal that you have, anything that you want to work on, anything you want to learn. And you said to yourself, okay, this is what I'm working on. And only this for the next three months, you know, this much time, like when I'm off work, I'm doing X, um, you are going to make much more progress. than if you say to yourself, well, whenever I have time from now on, I'm going to work on whatever it is. Well, now, as soon as it gets a little bit frustrating, you're going to give up and do something else, which is what happens when you learn languages, when you learn instruments, when you learn to do some skill that doesn't automatically come easily to you, that dealing with frustration is such a big part of it. And I think being able to have that structure where you say to yourself, okay, well, even if it is really hard and I totally fail at it and I can't do it very well, this is what I'm doing for the next three months. And often you get a lot further by having that attitude than having the attitude of, well, let's just sort of try it out. And then I'm going to, you know, obviously give up when things get more difficult. 
Yeah, because I've certainly done that where I've gone full force into something and then it's, oh, something over there. I'll, I'll start doing that and I'll go full force into that. You know, and I used to go from obsession to obsession and hobbies, but I would never finish or I'm self, you know, I would never give my all to it. And I think that's why I really liked your sort of alter learning approach was that, yes, it was self-directed, but it was aggressive as well. You know, that mm-hmm. I like the way that you set challenges. And I think that's a big thing is, you know, somebody learning French, yeah, but when when do you learn French? You know, how how truthful can you be at you know French? Or you know, do you scrape by or can you are you fluent? Or are you good at jujitsu or are you like a world champion? But to have a challenge like I want to win in a competition or I want to complete a certain qualification in it or you know, do you think you need that in the initial steps for people? They need to have a outcome, a goal, uh, like a set checkpoint. I think so. I do think it can often be very useful to pick some particular kind of test or exam for yourself at the end of it. So, like entering a competition is a really good sort of final thing to do because it it puts into relief like, am I driving towards this purpose? Because it's very easy with learning projects to somehow get out of like. You know, you, you, it's very easy to just sort of trick yourself out of all the real difficulty involved in it. So I'll give an example. Let's say you want to become a programmer because you want to have that as a new career. Well, the thing you should probably be doing is how do I get as quickly as possible to building commercial software that like, you know, I could easily fit into any kind of modern uh, organization that's creating software. Um, But a lot of people will not do that. They will sort of find some way to do exercises that sort of skate over or just sort of avoid, well, that is kind of too hard and difficult and I don't want to work on that. So let's, let's do something else. And so I think what you need to to do when you have a project is to have something that keeps you honest, that keeps you focused on what actually matters. And so sometimes a, a goal or competition can help with that. Sometimes it can be, you know, if you're taking a class, having a final exam at the end does work to at least force you to study. You can't just like read it and just can pretend that you know it. You actually have to do well on the test. And so there is a value in that. I do think that it's very difficult to predict how far you can go in a set time period. So I've had projects where... Uh, it turned out that I was making progress much faster than I thought I would. So if I had picked a really easy target, I might have started to slack off. And similarly, I've worked with other people who have set goals which are really too ambitious for the amount of time that they're willing to invest into it. And so they kind of get frustrated that they're not able to reach it. And so what I prefer is something that's more directional, something that focuses your activity that allows your efforts to be invested in the right way, but isn't something where if it turns out that, you know, you can't become a world champion in two months, uh, you're not despondent. But if it's sort of like, well, I'm going to compete and I'm going to try to do as well as I can in this competition, then you're probably going to still feel good even if you, you know, got third place just because, you know, you did your best and it was directed towards that goal. Whereas if you were just like, well, I'll just practice martial art move in my basement and I'm not actually going to go out there and uh, get any real exposure. It's very easy to do stuff that's fun and, you know, not the kind of stuff where you're getting punched in the face, right? It's not the enjoyable part of like MMA training and stuff like that. You're getting punched. It's, you know, you quickly learn how not to make mistakes in that sort of scenario. But, you know, for you mentioned on Instagram about like the perfect practice loops mm-hmm. for and things like motivation are a great tool. You know, you get those people that say, for those who don't want to go to the gym, but want to get in shape, 
just turn up and do one set of one activity. And by the time you go there, get changed and do one set, you, you start enjoying yourself and you stay around for it and do a bit more. That's fine. You know, learning skills is great if you're motivated. What do we do at times? It's, you know, something for work, for example, and you really don't want to do it. How, how much of a role does motivation play in? What can you do in a situation when you really hate it, but you have to learn it or you need it as a key component for something else. Yeah, so I, I always think that it's presented as kind of a like rock in a hard place. Like, well, I have to do this thing, but I really hate it. And I really don't like framing it that way because really in, in life, you usually have lots of choices and there's lots of different things that you could potentially do. And so, yes, there are some times where there's a small part of some larger thing you want to do and you don't like that part, but you got to do it to get to the bigger thing that you like. And yes, you do need to push through that. But I think that's always helped if the bigger thing that you want to do is something that you really care about. Whereas the way this is often presented is, is like, well, here's something that I just kind of hate through and through. And how can I get good at doing it and making myself do it all the time? Do you really want to be the person that's doing stuff you hate all the time? I think that what you should be doing is trying to figure out how can you make the things that you need to do in life and the things that you want to do in life, how could you make those coincide more? And so again, sometimes there's going to be things that like, okay, I want to do X, but I have to get through this thing that's going to be kind of frustrating in the beginning. So for, you know, for me, if I'm doing a new programming project, um, I hate doing the setup part where you have to set up a new language and do those things. It's very frustrating. There's lots of bugs. It's, it's not the fun part. It's not the part that I like. Okay. So maybe I have to push through that, but I push through it because I care about doing the project as a whole. I care about the thing that I really wanted to be able to do, which was, you know, making a game or writing some script or doing something else. And so similarly, you maybe really hate those first few times you're speaking a new language, but you do care about, you know, being able to speak the language more generally. You do be able, are able to care about that. And so what I would say to people is that I always try when I'm designing a project to make it something that feels interesting, and exciting, not always easy. I don't want to, I don't want to make that the case. I don't want to make it just whatever's the most convenient, but how can you frame it and put it in some context where it feels like it's something that's important to you that's meaningful that's like okay yeah this is gonna be hard and frustrating but i'm interested in it so if you don't like doing that workout in the gym like you know why don't you play a sport or why don't you do something that is going to be exciting or interesting for you if you don't like how you're proceeding in a goal maybe you could change the intensity or change how you're doing it i know a lot of people that you know they don't like doing push-ups but they got into this idea that i'm going to do this hundred push-ups in a row challenge and all of a sudden they're doing push-ups all the time and that's a framing thing right it's not that the push-ups changed it's that how they thought of the activity change that this idea of being able to do a hundred pushups started to become interesting to them in a way that just doing some pushups every once in a while didn't. So I think the way I think about motivation is if you're trying to get yourself to do something that you really, really hate, and there's no, nothing redeeming in the big picture about it. There's nothing that like, well, you know, I have to do this to get at this thing that I really want to be able to do. I really want to get at. Um, I just think that's the wrong way of going about it. I think the right way of going about it is how can I make this activity compelling? How can I make this goal compelling? And if it's not compelling, then yeah, maybe pick a compelling goal because there's plenty of compelling goals out there. It's not that they're lacking in anyone's life. It's just that you get these situations where you feel like you have to do this one thing and there's nothing else as an option. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest, 
and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. I love that. I really wish I'd found your stuff sooner because when I first started, I'd be like, oh, no, I don't really want to do that. And now when I look back, there's ways I could have done things so differently and sort of made it more enjoyable. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff we don't want to do for work, but I mean, you you work to live. You don't live to work. And what a difference it has made in my life just from finding small skills I've learned. And you move to a different level, like a next, a next level, excuse the pun, where you kind of go from there. You're never the same person. You always improve and, you know, you get the next challenge, the next challenge, the next challenge. It's amazing where it's taken me and the people and the amazing people I get to speak to like yourself. But how do we start sourcing the information? You know, say you've got somebody who's 40 years old, hasn't done any kind of qualifications, teaching, learning, whatever, since school, but, you know, wants to play the guitar, wants to do X, Y, Z. How do they start sourcing this information? Is it a case of buying books and podcasts? Should we be looking just to throw yourself into a night class or... What kind of advice would you give to people to find the mentors, the the methods, yeah. the right practice method for them? What I usually take as a starting point is try to think of a concrete project or outcome that you'd try to be able to realize that you could organize your activity around. So one of the problems a lot of people have is that the thing that they pick as a, I want to learn X is just, it's not concrete enough. It's not something that you can actually organize a plan around. So to use the guitar example, there's no real such thing as learning to play the guitar. Now I know that's a, you know, I, I gotta qualify what I'm saying there, but really what it is is there's lots of lots of little kind of micro skills that you have when you're learning to play guitar. You know certain chords, you know how to play in certain keys, you know how to move your fingers. So like the person who's playing Spanish flamenco and the guy who's playing rock ballads, they kind of maybe have different skills. Maybe they don't have the exact same skill set. And so when you say to yourself, I want to learn guitar, you're not really being specific enough. A better thing to do would be like, I want to learn to play this particular song, or I want to be able to learn to play these songs, or depending on the scope of your project, picking something very concrete. And then you can kind of work backwards. So once you figured out, okay, I want to be able to do X and X is something very specific that you would know in a moment, whether you're able to do it or not, then you try to have to work backwards. Okay. What do I need to do in order to be able to do that? So then you start looking at, okay, what books could get me there or what courses are out there or what are the basics of learning guitar? What are the things that I need to practice? You know how this song is too hard. I can't even attempt it playing it right now. What is, what's like an easier song I could build into that or, or this kind of thing. And so I think once you have that kind of concrete direct practice situation where it's sort of like, this is the real thing that I actually want to be able to do at the end of this project it's going to be a lot easier to organize a project around that. If you instead have the idea of, I just want to learn X, you quickly get into this quagmire where you you have like an infinite things that you could learn and everyone has a different strategy. And you often end up just sort of plugging through lessons with the like hope that maybe one day you'll be able to do something interesting. It's way better to just start with the kind of end in mind. Where do you, what are you trying to reverse engineer? What are you trying to figure out? This is what I'm going to be able to do two months from now that I can't do right now. And then let's backwards engineer. What do I need to do to get there? I love that. It's such a great answer. Do you think that's why 
um, you know, like a lot of people struggled to start, you know, like how do you get through the initial sticking points or, you know, the, the, the points where you think, oh, bollocks to this, this is too hard. Is that where the meta-learning comes in, where you analyzed it deep and you've looked at potential problems? So when you come to them, they're not really a problem because you've expected them. You, they, you know, they're not as scary and you can sort of figure out, well, if this comes up, I'm going to do that. Or if that goes up, I'm going to do that. Is that the importance of meta-learning to understand your potential pitfalls and how you're going to fix them? Well, one of the things that I think is is really important is how you kind of think about the structure of the project that once you really kind of commit yourself to going through some difficulties, the kind of the difficulties are already over. And it's sort of weird to say it that way, but if you tell yourself, for instance, that you're going to go and only speak in a certain language for you know the next month, let's say, maybe you don't speak Spanish right now, but for the next month, you're going to speak to it. The real difficulty for that is very often committing to actually doing it and like fully sort of committing, okay, let's get my life organized. Let's do it. Then when you get in situations where like, oh, I don't know how to say this, then you're just kind of problem solving. You're just dealing with code. Okay. I've got to look this up on my phone or I've got to go do this and this. And I think uh, one of the things that a lot of people do is they don't really confront what's involved in doing the thing that they want to do. They don't confront that essential difficulty it contains. And so whenever they encounter some difficulty, they kind of brush it off. They kind of try to figure out some way to do something that's more convenient or comfortable. So the person who you know wants to learn programming, when they actually start programming, maybe they're getting bugs and their program doesn't compile and doesn't run anything, and they have to spend an hour figuring out why it isn't working properly. Well, that is frustrating. I don't want to. I don't want to deny that. But if you had accepted that that's what's going to be involved in doing it, and you kind of took that as part of the project, it's much easier to go through. On the other hand, if you just sort of thought, well, vaguely, I want to learn programming and you encounter that difficulty, it's very easy to convince yourself to do something else. Just say, okay, well, I'm just going to watch YouTube videos because I don't have to feel like a failure when I'm watching YouTube videos. And so one of the things that I really try to talk about in this ultra learning methodology and the idea that it's aggressive is that it kind of forces you to confront what is the real thing that you want to be able to do and what is the real difficulty that it contains? What is the real frustration that you're going to have to persevere through? And if you can commit through that, then actually facing it is not actually that difficult. It's not actually that hard. It's sort of coming to that decision that this is important enough to to go through with that. And are there certain, I suppose you could call them habits, but I mean, are there certain hard and soft skills that you think all men should have, you know, like consistency, resilience, things like that. You know, how do we make practice and the pursuit of this into an actual, you know, a daily a daily method? Because a lot of people are coming are going to come from this who have spent a lot of time just sitting watching TV, sitting on the bus watching YouTube. But now we're in a situation in like with the virus where people are now having to work from home. They're having to learn new hobbies and they're having to learn new skills to the way the world's going to change so how can we you know how can we get through that initial ah sod i'll just sit and watch coronation street or something on just now how can we get to the point where we go right i'm going to make that 20 minutes you know how do we set our week do we allocate a certain amount of time 20 minutes a day or like what methods have you found that work for you well, I think there's lots of different ways that you could approach a project, but I think, and again, this was sort of one of my big reasons for doing the book the way uh, I did. And, and one of the reasons that, you know, when I think about my own life, what kind of put me on this path is that you need to kind of be shown that this is a thing you can do. 
right? And if, if you know, I've had conversations with people where the, you know, you, you talk about doing it and they're like, oh, wow, that sounds really cool. I'd love to do something like that. And then there's lots of people who you hear it and they're like, oh, God, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to do that. I don't think there's anything I can do for those latter people, right? If, if we're talking about this and the idea of learning new skills and doing hard things and becoming good at things that you're not good at right now, if that doesn't sound intrinsically appealing, like intrinsically appealing enough to like start planning a new project and doing some of this, there's, there's nothing really I can do to say to you to, to get you on board with that. And that's fine. Like everyone can do their own life in their own way. But I think it's often helpful to have some of those examples, to have some of those key sort of people that you're looking at and you're like, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to do that. And it is going to be difficult, but that's the thing that I want to do. So how can I get myself to do it? And I think once you're in that position, then you have some material to work with. Then you can start to say to yourself, okay, well, how do I find time? Maybe I don't have a lot of time. Maybe I've got kids at home. Maybe I've got work full time and maybe I feel exhausted at the end of the day. Maybe I don't have a lot of energy to do this. How can I make it work in my schedule? Whereas if you don't feel that way about it, uh, then it doesn't really matter whether you are uh, have you know all day off. You're still not going to do it, right? And so I think the the most important thing is to is to try to cultivate some of those things that really excite you and things that really you know make you want to try it and and uh, give yourself that permission to to go out and try those things. Well, that's brilliant. I love that. But so how do we then identify? bad protocols, bad practice methods. How do we, you know, avoid the law of diminishing returns by over-practicing or, you know, practicing bad repetitions? You know, how do we eliminate the distractions and the BS and the substandard practice? How do we know at what point to stop and, re, you know, reallocate or switch to something else? You know, do you have a method for that? Well, I think... There's lots of different ways that learning can go awry where you can have a good intention like we were talking about. You can have a good intention to learn something. You can have every every desire to learn something well and then it just doesn't go exactly how you'd want. And I think, uh, you know, we've already talked about one of them, which is having this concrete direct kind of outcome that you're trying to do this this sort of concrete manifestation of the skill you're trying to build uh cultivating that but there's other ones as well and i think some of them that i talk about in the book are things like not getting feedback uh feedback is very important for being able to learn and yet feedback's uncomfortable we don't like getting feedback always and so often we'll choose practice activities that are conspicuously devoid of feedback um uh, that's you know what can happen happen when i was using the example of people who you know instead of writing programs when they want to be a programmer, they watch YouTube videos about programming because the latter doesn't have any feedback, but when there's no feedback, you also never get frustrated. You never fail at anything. Um, similarly, you know, one of the other things that I talk about in the book is the importance of retrieval. So if we're dealing with something where you have to remember things, it's very important to practice remembering it and not just practice looking at it. So that's another mistake that people get in is that they think that the right way to study something is to read something over and over and over again, whereas the right way to do it is to read it once, close whatever you're doing, and then try to recall from within what you're trying to remember and what you're trying to do. And so there's a lot of these little kind of things that if you get them right, it's a lot easier to proceed through a learning project. And so that was one of, again, the big goals I had with writing the book was to try to document some of these principles so that you could see in your own projects, oh, I'm not doing this. That's maybe where I'm getting hung up on with this particular project. 
And how would we find these kind of feedback places? You know, because obviously, you know, you sit and do a qualification, you fail the exam, you get that feedback. Mm -hmm. But for things that may be a bit more, a bit looser in terms of mm -hmm. set goals, do you, is it because you have to have it the goal defined enough that you can have feedback points? Or do you need accountability partners? Or, you know, what ways have you found to introduce feedback and to get that kind of recognition back to know you're going right they're wrong because we kind of bullshit ourselves sometimes and say yeah yeah i'm doing yeah. well when we're <laughs> you know we're not even using a third of our true potential right so i think there's lots of different ways that you can get feedback and i think it, it's often very domain specific so one of the guys that i talk about in the book who, who did this really incredible public speaking project um and one of the things that he really used to his advantage is that he videotaped every single speech he did. And one of the reasons that's valuable is that if you are speaking in public, all of your attention is on your performance while you're doing it. So you don't have that much self-awareness and you probably don't even want that much self-awareness because if you spend your entire time giving a speech thinking about how is this speech going, you're probably not giving a very good speech, right? You're not in the actual activity. You're thinking about it. So having those video recordings meant that he could look at them after and, you know, he, he also could get feedback from other people, from people in the audience, but he could watch his own performance and be able to say, oh, right there, that's where I lost them or right there, that joke didn't work. Or, you know, in my head, I was thinking I was doing it this way, but I was actually talking too quickly or I wasn't doing that very well. And so that's an example of one way that you can get feedback if you're considered, you know, you're trying to get better uh, at a particular skill. Another thing can just be publishing. So if you are trying to write or paint or produce music or write programs, just doing it in a public way where, you know, if you want to be a better writer, start a blog and just start writing. If you are just writing for yourself and you never share it with anyone, not only do you not get feedback from those other people, but even just the way that you produce things is different when you think you might be scrutinized for it. So even just even if no one's reading your blog, the kind of writing you do for your blog is going to be different and probably better than the kind of writing that you do privately in your journal. And so I think there's lots of different ways you can get feedback. And a lot of the ways you do it are kind of obvious when you think about it. It's more about kind of recognizing what's the impetus for doing this and, and how can I uh, how can I seek that feedback rather than recoil from it. So it, once you've learned a skill, you know, you've got to that point where you've achieved the qualification or you've done the song that you want to learn or whatever it is, how do they keep the skill fresh? Because if you're then going on to a new challenge, you know, like when you went round with your, um, your friend and, mm -hmm. you know, you started saying, I'm going to go to four different countries and yeah. I'm going to learn, you know, X, Y, Z. How then do you keep those languages going? How do you get to a point where you say, well, that's fine, you know, maybe a year down the line, suddenly you speak to a French person and I came up to, you know, how would you be able to keep it that level of capability now while you're learning other skills? How, well, do, you, I think, how do you incorporate that? Yeah, so it's, it's undeniable that if you don't actively use a skill or set of knowledge, it will atrophy. Um, <clears throat> this is a universal truth. So the kind of, I forget everything that I've learned from school. Well, you haven't forgotten everything you've learned from school, but it's probably true that if you had to do final exams for stuff that you did in university or in high school, you might not pass them. And that's kind of embarrassing for people. They want to have some way that they can just have all the knowledge they've ever learned at their fingertips. And I don't think there's a way of doing exactly that. 
What you can do is you can invest in some sort of maintenance routine. So a routine where you invest a small amount of effort as a habit over a long period of time where you just do a little bit. And I don't think this is perfect. It's not the case that uh, you know, you do this and you won't have any atrophy at all. But if you do a little bit, it often goes a long way. So my kind of motto here is that it's very difficult to do this perfectly without just continuously spending enormous amounts of time, like like what I said, uh, with a skill. Um, but at the same time, if you wanted to, like your French situation where, yeah, maybe you're not you're okay with the fact that your French is going to get a little bit rustier, but you still want to be able to, if a French person came up to you, to be able to have a conversation, then it's very important to say, okay, you know what, like once uh, once every two weeks, once every month, I'm going to have like a half hour tutoring session via Skype and I'm going to, I'm going to practice it. Or if you want to do programming, you know, every six months, I'm going to do a little programming assignment or every, you know, whatever amount of time I'm going to read a bit about this topic or I'm going to do some little practice in this area. And I do think you you always get a little bit rustier, so those those little maintenance sessions are harder. But if you can do this over a long period of time, you can keep skills fresh enough that the kind of hurdle to start using them again isn't inordinate. And I think that's the major barrier. That you know, if if it were the case that you learn French, but then you have to spend two weeks studying it every time you want to speak it again, well, you're just never going to speak it, and then effectively you don't speak French, right? Um, whereas if you get to the point where it's like, okay, it's a little bit worse than it was last time, but you can actually help hold a conversation and, and get by and this kind of thing, then it'll probably be a language you can speak your whole life. So I think investing in these sort of simple maintenance routines is very important. No, that's a super answer, but I mean, I was so blown away by reading the challenges you put yourself through, you know, yourself and that, the ones that Benny Lewis did, you know, it was just phenomenal. And then when you start talking about the way Nigel Richards had one that was at the French Scrabble title yeah, without yeah. speaking French. And, and then I'd listened to your, was it WS, uh, sorry, no, WDS 2019 mm-hmm. talk he did. Very interesting shirt in that, I have to admit. Um, but what, when you look back at that now, what do you think it's taught you as a person and your viewpoint in the world? Because you've recently become a father. You know, how mm. is that? How do you think it's changed you as a person? Are you still going to be the same, throw yourself into things, or has it changed you in any way, do you think? Well, I'm definitely going to be always undertaking projects. I think one thing that I've kind of come to accept for myself is that, you know, a lot of the projects I did when I was in my early 20s and I was able to just really go 100% into them. Like I I had, I definitely feel like I'm in a different position in my life than I was in my earlier 20s when I was doing some of these projects where I could really just be 100% doing the project. I could, you know, run my work in a very low maintenance mode and I didn't have like family or other other kind of commitments and responsibilities. And so I am, am sort of coming to terms also with the fact that while I'm always going to be taking on learning projects, I'm maybe not able going to be able to replicate my same peak of kind of doing something that's going to be times two what I did before because it's going to be hard to do times two if I'm only able to put in, let's say, half as much time. But I think the overall mentality that I've learned and how it affected me as a person is just this general sense that if you want to learn something, if you want to get better at something, there's a process for doing it. And so this is something that I'm going to be pursuing my entire life of of learning new things and getting better at things and tackling new skills and new projects. And I think the more you can find that exciting and is something that you can just add to your life, then yeah, even if you're not always doing something that is as dramatic or life-changing every single moment, you're still constantly accumulating this progress and, and maturing and developing as a person. And 
that's something that I definitely want to try to impart uh, on uh, on my son and, and any other future children that we might have that I want him to have that same sort of sense that, you know, if he wants to learn something or get better at something, he can do that. And, you know, how to cultivate that mindset, I think, is something that I'll, I'll have to figure out as I as I go along. Because it's something, you know, it kind of hit home recently when um, I was discussing, like, what I wanted to do during the, the sort of lockdown time. Um, my mother had said about learning the guitar. You're always talking about learning the guitar. And she mentioned just randomly how my dad had always wanted to learn it, but he had never had and he always says, oh, it's too late for me now, kind of thing. And I felt really sad that there's people in our world who we have all these amazing technology options. We have all these uh, you know, amazing teachers and free courses. And there's people who are going to go to their death not having the chance to complete what they want. You know, They're never going to get to really find out what their true potential are. What would you say to people just now who are sitting there going, oh, yeah, but I've got kids. Oh, no, I'm too old for that. You know, how do we get into people that learning can be a lifelong achievement that doesn't matter where your starting point, that where you can go is amazing. And just to get them to to give it a shot, to pick a challenge just now and it'd be amazing where they can be in six months. How do you get how do you how can we like what would you say to people just now who are shaking their head and going, No, 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 I couldn't do that, I couldn't do that? Well, I think, again, I think there's a lot of it is, you know, if you talk about something that's extreme in, in sort of the method or, or how how much you're investing into it, there are a lot of people who maybe aren't going to have time to do that. And I think that there is a sense that they're correct. You know, if someone were to say to me, well, you know what, you're going to go to another country and cut off all your ties with everyone you know and speak only in that language and learn that language and, and you've got a job and kids and you're just like, well, I'm, I'm not doing that, right? But that doesn't mean you can't do something. It doesn't mean you can't do something that's beneficial for you. So to just use that as an example, um, I'm actually in the middle of a project right now. So it's a little bit strange for me to be speaking English at the moment because my wife and I just at home just between us we've been learning uh, her language which is macedonian that's a south slavic language i did read that. I've, been uh, I've been doing this at home so I'm, I'm actually it's kind of strange for me speaking in english i've been having all my conversations in macedonian for the the last two weeks but it's an example of something that you know this was something that was important to me and i wanted to work on it and we decided now is a good time and we're tackling it. And yes, I'm in the situation a lot of people are. Like I, we have a new son at home and I'm still working full time and there's all these other things going on. But it was something that, you know what, it's never going to be a perfect situation. It's never going to be like, you know, especially with the way things are now, it's not going to be a soon opportunity where I can spend three months entirely in Macedonia. And even if I did, maybe there would still be barriers that would make it hard for me to speak it. And so I think the... The idea that, you know, you have to have these perfect ideal conditions in order to do anything is false. Um, but I think at the same time, it's it's important to recognize that that's usually, it's not usually your life situation that's preventing you from doing it. Rather, you have these emotional feelings to the po prospect of doing it. And that's what's kind of keeping you back. So you feel like you won't be successful or you feel like it's you know, not important to you, or you feel like you're not sure how you're going to handle things. And so the the way that I think you overcome that is with enthusiasm, with kind of designing a project that really excites you and, and, you know, throwing yourself into it and doing it that way. And so that's what I'm trying to kind of push forward in the book is that I know I'm not going to be able to persuade everyone 
But I'm hoping that for some people who are listening and some people who read the book and some people who uh, go through that kind of material are going to see something that they've wanted to do and they're going to just be like, well, screw it, let's do it. You know, let's actually go through with it and, and actually get started with it. And so I think if you can get that excitement and that enthusiasm, I don't want to say that that carries you to the finish line, but at least it gets you started. And at least it gets you to a point where you can actually approach some of these kinds of projects. Would there be a, a challenge, like a mini challenge, you think that, every single person could do or you know like say if we had to pick something for somebody just now in to do in the next month or six months or next day is there is there a, a baby challenge that you think you could set everybody well i don't i don't know of a baby challenge that i could set everybody but what i will say is that i think that the 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 difficulty of the challenge is very often in your mind and in your apprehension before you get started with it so things that seem like it's going to be so impossible that you could never do it when you actually start doing it it usually is fine <laughs> i mean I, I we were talking about this that i've had this idea of wanting to learn my my wife's native language for a while and i've even done this a process before for learning other languages but we've never actually just pulled the trigger and like, okay, we're actually going to just speak this at home and practice it. And so the the real difficulty is often kind of coming to that point of what is the project I'm doing? Am I committed to it? All right, let's pull the trigger and actually do it. And so I think that's the process I would encourage people to go through is what are some examples of projects that you could do that you would feel excited about and you can do it. And maybe they're not going to be baby projects. Maybe they are going to involve some challenge and some frustration, but at least if you can articulate them, then you have a starting point. If you just have some vague idea, well, I know at one point I'd like to do this, that's not going to go anywhere. But if you have something where you say, okay, well, maybe what I could do is for three months, I could spend you know a certain amount of time doing this project, or I could do it this way. Or you know, if I wanted to become a painter, I could do a painting every day for a month or, or, or whatever it is, uh, you could do something like that and you can make real progress. And so I think a good exercise, even though it's not a learning thing, would just be to contemplate what those projects could be for you. Now, you've done some amazing things. You know, you've got a fabulous podcast. The book has just gone from strength to strength. The website, your social media, you could spend days and days reading so much, you know, the content you've got there, which I did, actually. But <laughs> for those listening, you know, uh, sorry, for yourself, what is left now? Like, how do you keep yourself motivated? You've done, like, mm. truly amazing stuff. But how, how do you do you find you want to keep going bigger and better? Or do you just keep finding that each challenge opens up new do new doors and new possibilities that you never contemplated before? So you're constantly upping your grade, so to speak? Well, I think there's always new projects and new horizons that are pushing me. And one of the things that I've kind of have as a sort of life rule for myself is to gravitate towards projects that are kind of that are pushing me not just in terms of a new subject but they they have a new kind of challenge for me so in some ways if you're doing a project which is very similar to the kind of thing you've all always done before it doesn't have that same feeling to it and so the kinds of things that i like to do are projects where it's sort of like well i don't know whether this will work and so once you're like well i know it'll work then it becomes kind of routine and so um, I'm always trying to find new projects, but I think by kind of definition, there's no formula for dreaming them up because 
if you have the formula, then it's kind of that sort of routine activity. So, I mean, recently I was working on this book, which is that kind of project for me, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a little embarrassed to admit it, but it was something that definitely gave me a lot of uh, frustration and anxiety while I was writing it. But I'm very glad that I pushed through that and I did it. And I don't know what it will be in the future, but I'm sure that it's going to be uh, something that I can't anticipate right now. Because when I first found your stuff at the time, I remember thinking I was not ready. I was not emotionally ready enough, you know, because I immediately went, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Well, I couldn't go to a different country and do all that. But now when I actually think back, I was like, yes, I could. It's, and it's quite remarkable that I, I really hope that people listening have gone, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I've got kids, but I can still go and do that little thing that I've always wanted to achieve or I want to go play the musical instrument or I want to get the qualification. There's nothing, the only thing that's holding you back is yourself. And it's that's what I think the joy of your site is. You're, you show people that there is more to life, that you can achieve things, that you're not defined by your job or your, your role as a mother or you know, you can achieve things from life. And it's remarkable the stuff you're doing. And you know, we haven't even gone into the book or the podcast, but what do you want the sort of evolution of your to be now? Where are you going to go with this? Are you going to start doing interviews? Are you going to be bringing more books out? What's the the next stages for your your brand? My brand? I don't know. I don't know if I, I like know, that I term. Think, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I, I don't know. I See, for me, I think, again, I, I kind of described, I don't really have a... I mean, if I'm quite frank, I feel like I've accomplished a lot of the things that I had initially set out to accomplish. So if I think about the life that I have, I'm extremely grateful that, you know, I'm, I am able to do what I love to do, which is right. And I'm able to do interesting kinds of projects. And so the, the kinds of things that motivate me and the kinds of things that drive me forward is always this sort of, I'm trying to find what are the things that are kind of on that edge of, that would be really cool to do that, but I don't know whether I can do that. And that's, that's sort of, I think, what I'm drawn toward. Um, and that's going to constantly be changing. And there's a certain there's a certain sense that once you kind of learn the pattern, it's no longer that. You can keep going in that direction, but it's it's no longer that. So if you've never written an essay before, then, then writing an essay will be that. But if you've written 100 essays, then writing the next essay is just sort of you're following a routine. You're doing the same thing. And so there's ways you can do that big and small. So there's little things that I want to do. I'm probably going to want to write another book. I'm probably going to do more learning projects. But even in some ways, like the learning projects that I've been doing have become a kind of like, oh, yeah, I know how that works and I want to do that. So for me, it's kind of also to figure out, well, what's the what's the new kind of idea or thing that I want to pursue that I'm like, well, I really don't know whether I can pull this off. And then, and then it's, and then it's something exciting. Then it becomes kind of a puzzle of trying to think, well, like, how could you approach it or how could you do it? And so I am, as I said, I don't really know what those things are going to be long-term, but I can just give you that sort of what I, I look for in the kinds of things that I pursue. And how is the, you know, the, the latest challenge going? How are you finding it? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, this is almost kind of, it's sort of funny because the idea of like learning a new language is, it is a big project, but at the same time, it has a certain, okay, yeah, I I, I remember doing this before. So it's familiar. It's still intellectually challenging. So I, I still have a lot of studying to do, a lot of learning to do, a lot of practicing to do. But at the same time, I feel quite comfortable with the overall trajectory of how do you learn and get better at, at a language and so now my wife and I are able to have um, simple conversations it's not uh, you know I'm still not we're not 
discussing a lot of like you know intricate politics and you know i'm not telling uh telling elaborate stories and i'm making a lot of mistakes but we're we kind of have that communication beachhead so now we can actually progress and do things and so uh it's it's sort of funny because even when we were doing the project on the trip when we were in spain it was a a first time experience and so we had no idea what was going to be possible we had no idea how difficult it would be we had no idea whether it would be something that like after three months we would be like oh yeah that's pretty good we're able to do it versus like oh my god that was a terrible idea we aren't able to do it at all and uh, by the time we got to korea which is objectively a much harder language that we did not reach the same level of ability after three months it was nonetheless kind of routine in the sense that we're like, yep, yep, I know what this is like. I know how to do it. I know what we need to do. And it had this um, this sort of approach, which is kind of a strange thing to think about, like going to another country and, and totally immersing yourself just became kind of like, all right, another day at the office a little bit. And so I think uh, that's something that is also kind of exciting that, you know, you get better at something and you're, you, you figure out how to learn in that domain and then you're ready to move on to new things. Because when you did the first time, I was like, oh, that's really impressive. And then you were like, we did it three more times. And at one point it was Mandarin. <laughs> I thought, jeez, you know, talk about picking a hard one. But I suppose that's the joy of life. And it is like once you get married, there's so many things that can come up that you can challenge yourself. Once you have kids, there's so many new challenges. Once you have a new job, there's so many challenges. You, the, these challenges will get thrown at you. And there's so many yeah. different options to do things. But... And I know we're over our time limit, but what do you want everybody listening to this to take away from it? Because I've still got pages more and I'd love to have you on again, but yeah, what do you want the like the go-home message to be, the, the thing that people take from this? Well, I think the idea that there could be something that feels exciting and meaningful for you and matters it's not just something that oh it would be nice to speak french it could be a skill that this would literally change your life that these things are out there um there's this uh greek word poesis um which uh, was talked a lot about in kind of the ancient greek days which is related to this idea of craftsmanship but it's basically bringing things out bringing things out for themselves and i think that's sort of an attitude that i i've kind of trying to attune myself toward which is that these projects that you could undertake, which would be meaningful and exciting and become an obsession and change your life. You know, like I talk about these, these are things that have been fun for me and they've improved my, you know, my work and this kind of thing. But there's been people in the book who it literally changed their life. They, they've become a completely, they're on a completely different life trajectory after having taken some of these projects. And I think the idea that those are all around you and you just need to kind of bring them to the surface, that they kind of, you just need to craft them and, and make them and discover them and build them is, is something that uh, I, I kind of want to leave people with that for everyone listening here, there is that project that if they thought about it and they designed it would not only be something that could change their life, but would be something that, you know, they could get obsessed about and get excited about and would give them so much meaning and satisfaction and that those things are all, all around you. You just have to, to uh, look for them and build them. Yeah. For me, it was the podcast. I could, I, I can't imagine where I'd be without the podcast. Yeah. And the avenues has opened me up and that's why I like doing this and introducing my audience to people like yourself to show them that there is such realms of life that are possible that people aren't even thinking about because they've never been sort of shown the way and if i think if this has helped anybody even one person my podcast they've blown me away and 
that's why I think your work is so amazing. The stuff that you're doing and you're showing people what's available, but for people who want to get in touch, you know, I mean, obviously you can go buy the book at Amazon and things like that, mm-hmm. but how can we get in touch with you, see your work, you know, connect on social media, your website and stuff like that? You know, is there anything that you want people to go and check out straight away? Is there anything you're particularly proud of on the site or the best place for them to start? Yeah, so if you go to my website, there's a, a page, uh, um, articles on my website where we've kind of organized it for like in kind of rank order of what's the best and most useful content for people. Because there's over a thousand articles on my website, but we've kind of managed to organize it so that you'd be able to find anything that would be interesting for you. And uh, also you can check out my podcast page. I know people that, you know, if you'd like to listen to podcasts, maybe you'd like to listen to um, some of the episodes I have. And I think we're nearing 100 Uh, so far. And uh, most of them are just me and I'm talking uh, about concepts and ideas very similar to this one. Uh, But we also have a few where I have some guests on and we discuss, uh, you know, important books and ideas and things like that as well. And have you got a favorite guest you've had on so far? Uh, well, most of the people I've had on, I guess, are people that I know personally. So I, I'm not as much in like the inviting strangers and talking mm. to them. I, I have a lot more where it's like, oh, yeah, we always have good conversations. Let's record one. So I have one of the first episodes of Habit is actually with uh, James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. And we talk about we talk about Yuval Norari's book, Sapiens. So it's kind of funny. You got two authors talking about a book that neither of them wrote, which is uh, which was for our book club uh, episode, which I think was uh, that was a really fun conversation. and. Uh, James is always a really great guy to have conversations with. He is. A, he's a class, class guy. I'm, I'm trying to get him to come on the show, and he was uh, off to write a new book just at the worst time for me. Um, but mm. I'm, I'm a big fan of your stuff. It's I really cannot say thank you enough for coming on, and it's I really hope this has opened up people's eyes and let them realize that it's never too late to go and you know achieve what they want. But I mean, the floor is open to you. If there's anything that you know you would like to mention, anything coming up that you'd like to promote, or anything that we should be looking no, out for. You know, all I would say is that if you're if you're not sick of listening to me so far, uh, you can listen to my audiobook for Ultra Learning uh, on Audible, or uh, you can read the book. And again, uh, just check out the website, and if there's anything that's interesting to you. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.